Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning and welcome to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for today. If this happens to be the first time you've caught us on Talking Money, either on the radio live radio program or on one of our podcasts, this is not a sales show. You'll be relieved to know we're not, we don't have a hidden agenda, we're not trying to say a life insurance or annuities or gold or something like that. Uh, we're trying to educate and we want you to be uh, someone who's a better steward of the resources God's given you. We want you to make the right decisions and and hopefully just to make you just a more, uh, a less stressful person because of money. That's our job today. And I, uh, I will tell you, we're not taking live calls today. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are uh, recording this uh, because my guest, Eric Daniels, uh, we want, couldn't, wouldn't have been available on a Saturday morning. So we're getting him on uh on a different morning to see if we can get some good wisdom from Eric. So Eric Daniels, welcome to Talking Money. Thank you, Mike. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing you. I've known, I, I think I, I met uh, Eric uh, the first time or the first real time uh, about four years ago when we were just uh, starting some of the uh, due diligence and, and Ronald Blue Trust and Plan First were getting together to try to figure out if, if we were a good fit for each other. And I went to the home office in Alpharetta in, uh, in Georgia, near Atlanta, and uh, we met uh, several of the key people there. And for lunch, Eric was one of the ones that came to lunch. And at the time, he was in charge of the family office down there. And, uh, and I thought, okay, this guy works with um, people who have millions and millions of dollars. What's he going to be like? And, and then when we got to lunch, Eric, and you were just so down to earth and, and almost a little... I, I shouldn't say wild and crazy, but you know, it's it's it was refreshing to <laughs> refreshing to see someone that, that wasn't stuffy at all when, when when we got together for the first time. So, how did you get to Ronald Blue Trust? What did you do before then? And uh, I know your role, at least when I first got there, was with the family office. And you're still attached to that. So, give us a little bit of background for the listeners, so they just give a little idea of who Eric Daniels is. I sure will. Well, I'm, I grew up in Indiana. I am the oldest of nine children, and um, uh, once graduated from Indiana University in accounting, and then went into public accounting for uh, a couple years during school, and about three years after graduating. Okay. And then Ron Blue asked me to come down to Atlanta to help him get the uh, financial planning firm Ronald Blue Trust started. At that time, it was called Ronald Blue and Company. So you met so, Ron because uh, he was from Indianapolis. So you met him up there somehow. Actually, it's even more unique than that. As I was hired by Ron to work with his CPA firm. Ah, okay. Uh, I was gotcha. fort fortunate enough to have a lot of different offers that used to be called the Big Eight mm -hmm. at that time. And Ron had spent some time with Pete Marmick and Mitchell in New York, 
but I was just particularly enamored with his commitment to integrity and a number of other factors. So that's why I joined his firm. He then immediately left and moved down to Atlanta. I kind of felt like I was bagged. But um, <laughs> after about three years, he called me back and said, Eric, are you interested in coming down to Atlanta uh, with my wife? And we did. And it is uh, God's blessing that we've been able to be down here now for over 40 plus years. So what's been your role? You, you started uh, just as like trying to get an advisory role and then gradually uh, the the family office was uh, developed and, and born. It's been a circuitous route. I started out as an advisor for many years and then became the uh, managing director of the Atlanta office, which at that time I think was our largest office. And then from there, I gravitated towards what we call regional management, where I had seven or eight of our offices under my leadership. Right. Uh, then after that, I went back and ran a small division with about uh, 25 or 30 clients. And then, and then I moved over, I think about 10 years ago to run our family office. And about three years ago, I gave up those reins to a very competent individual named Scott Calhoun. Currently, I'm an executive vice president, but I really still serve about 25 clients and uh, enjoy it immensely, Mike. I'm 68 now, and I just can't imagine myself retiring. Yeah, uh, I love golf, but uh, I think I'd go crazy playing golf every day. Yeah, well, I understand that. And isn't it nice to get in a position and be with a firm that would allow you to work with the clients that you enjoy working with. I know we've all had situations over the years because we've both been in this business a long time and you hate to have clients that when you see their name pop up on caller ID, you go, Oh no, I really don't <laughs> want to talk to them. And it's so nice to have clients and, and I don't have any like that now. So it's a, I better say that clearly. So in case some of my clients are listening, they'll wonder, Oh, was he talking about me? Um, that uh, you have that situation. Yeah, that's, that's the gentleman that challenged the gentleman that challenged Ron Blue, I think Howard Hendricks, to start this firm forty plus years ago, made a comment to me: "Life is too short; spend it with the people that jazz you." Mm -hmm. And uh, just what you said in serving your clients, the same thing for mine. It's just uh, you get to a point. I guess we deserve it after forty plus years of working, but it sure is fun to work with people that you love to work with. Sure, absolutely. Well, a question I like to ask folks like yourself, especially those who are in the financial business, because I think it's of interest to the listeners to, to hear about this. Uh, what kinds of lessons did you learn about money when you were a, a young teenager, older teenager, even, even as a young adult? What kinds of things did you learn about money and, and who taught you those things about money? And then lastly, part of that, um, were they good lessons or bad lessons? And are you still uh, even even uh, practicing some of those things you learned back then? That's such a good question. Uh, being the oldest of nine children, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom, uh, money was very, very tight. And one of the lessons that I learned very early was, to, was the value of how to spend money and how to be wise with money. And in addition to that, I was taught very early the value of work and having a good work ethic. Mm -hmm. I remember I lived right across up in Indianapolis from Butler University and Butler would have basketball games. And this is when I was like six or seven years of age. And my dad let me go out with a placard and I would, uh, we would use our driveway 
for people to park their cars. Uh, if I remember correctly, sure. you charged a dollar a car. And I would make five or six dollars at six or seven. And I remember my dad taking me down to a bank and allowing me to uh, begin to save money, transfer that money, that cash into a savings account and let that grow. So I learned very on, very early on, not only the value of money to be wise with money, uh, but also the value of the work ethic. So there's a lot of positive things that I learned from my parents without a doubt. I remember having three paper routes at one time, and uh, working very long hours at a golf course when I was younger as well. But one of the things, you asked a very good question, what are some of the things that you didn't take that you didn't or that you may perhaps have changed later on in your life? And one of them is that my mom used to always worry about money. Mm. And I, re I remember that so vividly. And obviously that transferred over to my father. And my father just died uh, about a, a year and a half ago. Oh, really? Okay. And so he, he lived a long he, life. And he, he lived, yeah, he was 91 when he passed away. My mom, I think, died away, died five or six years earlier. But um, he had an estate. He was never a wealthy man. He was actually an attorney that stopped practicing law because he just didn't like it. And he had a court reporting business, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a stenographer. And he did okay, but he never made big money. But he, he accumulated a very sizable estate. And I just thought back when I found out how much he had saved and passed on to us nine children. You know, he could have enjoyed life so much more and spent it on things that he truly valued, but he was still tied up in that recession mind mindset. So that's the, I learned a lot of great lessons from my folks, but the one that I have tried to avoid is basically trusting God for the resources and not worrying about it. Yeah, that's, that's a great lesson. So I appreciate that. Well, it's time to go to our first break, Eric, but uh, we'll come back and start talking about some of your financial planning mistakes that you want to share, not just uh, trying to change what your parents might have taught you, but just some things over the year. We all try certain things. We all uh, fail at doing certain things and some things work, some things don't. So uh, really interested in, in hearing more of your story for that. So once again, if you've got a question for me, you'll have to send that question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Or you can go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and click on Ask Mike a Question. And if you listen to this uh, uh, as a podcast, you do the same way. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com or Ask Mike a Question at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Just go to that website and click on that line and we'll get your question on a uh, get your answers for you on a future broadcast. We'll be right back with the second segment with my special guest, Eric Daniels, in just a couple of minutes. Talking Money is brought to you by Ronald Blue Trust. With nationwide trust capabilities, Ronald Blue Trust provides wealth management strategies and trust services based on biblical principles to help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. With over 11 billion of assets under management and advisement and a network of 16 offices, including Greenville, Ronald Blue Trust serves over 10,000 clients in all 50 states through distinct divisions and offers services across the wealth spectrum in these key areas financial retirement estate planning, investment management and solutions, charitable giving strategies, personal trust and estate settlement, bill paying, family office services, business consulting, and institutional client services. More information about Ronald Blue Trust can be found at ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money. <music> 
And welcome back to Talking Money. This is Mike Miller, your host for today. And just a reminder, we're not taking questions today as we normally do. My special guest, Eric Daniels, uh, Senior Vice President with Ronald Blue Trust, is my guest today. And we've been talking about uh, some of the things that he learned while he was growing up. And during the break, he was talking a little bit more about uh, some of the family history there. And I thought, you got to share some of this, Eric, with, with the listeners, because it's just, it's just people love to hear the personal stories. So I was asking you about the, the parking first. And it's like, wow, a dollar a car that you got, that was a lot. Then you explain, well, maybe it's 50 cents because everybody else is charging a dollar. And so you were able to undercut everybody else and get that. And then, uh, and then, then your dad, of course, you talked about how he was able to, to really uh, grow a, a really a very large estate relative to what he earned. Uh, and then uh, you talk about the, so tell us about the rumpus room in your dad's office. Well, my, my dad, as I mentioned to you, uh, he left legal work very quickly and started a firm that was a court reporting firm, stenographer. Right. And he had his office in our house and we used to call the room the rumpus room. So he would lock the door. Well, I was the first one born and then he had six girls. And then my two younger brothers came after that, but six girls in one household that was not terribly huge <laughs> must've been a burden on him in a significant way. <laughs> And I remember him having his rumpus room door closed and I was outside that room and I heard him whining. I can't take it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. And I guarantee that it had something to do with not only myself, but also my six sisters at least. And uh, I don't know how he took it. I've got three girls myself and one son. And I love them all dearly, but they do they do uh, present unique needs and demands that are different, <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt about that. And in this day and age, when people are going, uh, starting to work from home more uh, by choice or just by necessity, and if they've got families and young children at home, that's part of it too. Just the stress of trying to run a business, and you've got all these kids running around trying to to discipline them right and and. Uh, and I believe you said he at that time, at least he was not a believer. So that, that could add to the stress because he didn't have really God to rely on to say, oh, I, my comfort, my, my trust is there, uh, which helps us all in times like that. But, uh, well, that's a neat story. So, uh, so let's go back through, uh, you'd mentioned some of the mistakes that you made because uh, I, I want you to share some things that will be helpful to the listeners. And a lot of times the best way to share is uh, here's some things I did that, um, that I that uh, I don't want you to do. You want to make. I'd rather learn from your mistakes than than my own. So uh, share with some of those that um, that you um, had along the way. Well, I've got so many of them as we discussed uh, before this interview, uh, but the one that is most compelling to me is it took me probably it took maybe my wife and I ten or so years where we began connecting how we spend money with what we value in life. And before there, we just really did not give much thought to the importance of how we spend our money is really dictated by what we value. So based upon my historical background, oftentimes for the first five or 10 years of our marriage, I think it was just all about saving. Uh, financial security was something that was very, very important to me, and it still is. But at the same time, it can't take precedence over all of the other things. So maybe when I was in our early 30s, my wife and I began sitting down every year, and we would map out how we plan to spend our money. 
so let's just say that uh, at that point in time, we were making $50,000. So Sherry and I would sit down and we would allocate that $50,000 amongst the five uses of money, giving, taxes, living, investing, and debt. So we would oftentimes have disagreements. I would, for lack of a better term, when it came to lifestyle, we would have what I call intense fellowship. <laughs> and, uh, intense, uh, good way to put it, intense always, fellowship. Yeah. Uh, oh, it, it was, and it was intense too, because we all want to, you know, God usually brings opposites together. I was the saver, and at that time she was the spender, even though we've kind of shifted gears on that significantly now. But most importantly, I think the biggest mistake that I made for so many years of our early marriage was just not understanding that God wants us to spend money on what we value, what's important, whether it be in the giving area, whether it be in the debt area and paying down debt, whether it be in the living expense area. I'll never forget um, teaching a seminar to a bunch of Vistage CEOs and CFOs. Maybe some of your members or your listeners are not familiar with Vistage, but Vistage is an international organization that usually brings together CEOs, CFOs, COs together just to learn. And I was asked to speak on financial and estate planning and investment management for about three hours. And I did that. And I I spent three hours talking about investment planning, income tax planning, debt management, insurance, estate, all the things. And at the very end, the the facilitator of this group asked all of the members that were in attendance, I think there was probably 15 of them, and he said, would you write down one or two things that you took away from Eric's presentation this morning? Mm. Could, now, be, Mike, could be scary. I, that, <laughs> I well, can remember it, anything. It, it, yeah, that's a, <laughs> well, that's what there it was. I think that's a good point. I didn't know how they're going to respond. <laughs> but I, had, I literally, for three hours or so, I had talked about income tax planning and estate planning and investment management, all the things that we deem as important. But I had also mentioned the importance of getting away three to four times a year with your spouse to think through what is important in life. So in addition to all this technical knowledge, I did give them a little bit of background and the importance of kind of decompressing, getting alone with your spouse and trying to figure out what's really important. Well, to my surprise, I'll bet you 80% of the people mentioned that the most important thing that they learned from that time was getting away with their spouse and thinking about what's important, what are their goals in life, and how they want to spend money on what they value. Wow, that's pretty, that just showed me yeah. it, it 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 just showed me the importance of getting away because life becomes way too complicated. We're always busy, and we do need to almost decompress and think through what is important to us. Um, Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher, made the statement: "The ultimate good in life is to treat things according to their true value." And that's what my wife and I do pretty well now in that we don't do it as efficiently as we used to do it. But we would we would spend an hour or two just thinking about how we want to spend our money. Mm. And that can, then you have to determine what do you really value in life? What right. brings you joy in life? So in, our own, in my own personal situation, family is very important to me. 
travel, financial security, freedom, time freedom. I love golf. And it, actually, I've thought about this frugality. I just uh, I just bought a um, a used Lexus hybrid ES 300H, mm-hmm. and my kids make fun of me because I sent them a uh, a screenshot of myself getting I think about 41 miles per gallon. <laughs> now that comes from my dad because he used to always think about miles per gallon. Right, mine did too. Guy. Yeah. And, is that right? Yeah, yeah. he did. So yeah. It, it, and I, I just get so much joy out of that. My kids think I'm nuts. But the more I thought about this just recently, it's frugality. It's it's a bad word now, and it needs to be a good word. Yeah, I used to calculate that. that. I used to calculate it by hand uh, before the, the cars computed it for you. But virtually every tank of gas, I would try to fill up. So the next time I filled up, I could take the mileage and the gallons and, and calculate how much miles per gallon I was getting. You know, that was that was the thing to do in my little 65 Corvair. <laughs> I still do it. I'm embarrassed to tell you, brother. I mean, well, the car does it for you I'm now. 68. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So I still remember we only have about, I guess, a minute or so left here. I still remember because I've heard Ron Blue speak so many times. And one of the things he would say frequently is, as you give me your checkbook and let me look through where you spent your money in your checkbook, and I'll tell you what kind of person you are and what you value. Boy, amen to that, brother. Amen. I, I, that reminds me of the quote by Will Rogers, which I know you've probably heard. We spend money we don't have to, to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. Yeah. Right. And uh, <laughs> who don't like us. <laughs> So that's probably the the one, that's the biggest mistake that I remedied. But I just want to tell your listeners the importance of really thinking through what do you value, what's important to us, and let's spend money on that so we get the most bang for the buck. All right. We'll be back with the second half of Talking Money in uh, just a few seconds, or or just a few minutes, rather. And uh, so glad you're with us today. My special guest, Eric Daniels, will be right back. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum, private wealth, everyday steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, private wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with the big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money. You're listening to Talking Money. This is Mike Miller, your host for today. We're in the second half of today's program today, talking about really it's, it's unusual that uh, that a financial person would say, let me share with you all the mistakes I've made. So uh, Eric Daniels, uh, <laughs> Senior Vice President at Ronald Blue Trust, has said, well, the best way we can uh, teach people is to just talk about some of the mistakes that we've made. So if you've got a question for me, talking about whatever, whatever financial planning subject you need help with, 
Uh, don't don't call in today, so we're not taking live questions. But you can send your question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Or you can go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and click on Ask Mike a Question and then type in your question there. And there's also, that's also the place where you can go to the archive. So if you want to listen to this program again, you didn't quite catch everything Eric was talking about, or if you want to listen to something on a separate subject that we're not talking about today, but we've covered in previous broadcasts of Talking Money, you can go to the Listen tab and you'll get back six months worth of talking money. So we don't, we don't try to hide anything. We put it out right out there so you can listen to it as many times as you want to, to make sure you get this information that you need to make the right kinds of decisions. Um, so let's talk about some uh, spending mistakes that you've made maybe over the years, Eric. Let's uh, always interested in hearing about some of those. Well, let's let's understand that we probably need to have this interview about ten more times to get all my spending mistakes <laughs> out in the open. Okay, but uh, I'll I'll give you a couple of uh, couple of ones and some things that I've that we've actually done well. I think the first one, and it goes alongside Mike of what I mentioned earlier, is not understanding the importance of spending money on what we value. And when we talk about what we value, almost always it comes back to our family, our spouse, our children, our grandchildren. And one of the many mistakes I made, uh, and, and I attribute this to myself specifically, is not understanding the importance of small but special spending on my family. Let me give you an example. Uh, just recently, we had the Valentine's Day, and my typical action step would get flowers for my wife. This year, since I had one of my daughters visiting with us, I ended up getting her flowers along with my wife. Mm-hmm. And she was so surprised, and it just it dawned on me how little I had surprised them, and especially with three girls. Uh, in retrospect, I should have taken them out and spent money on them, maybe perhaps buying them a new dress or getting them flowers or just giving them cash. You know, here's $25. I wished I would have done that with not only my three girls, but with my son. I remember specifically uh, encountering this. I, uh, my third daughter is a creative person. And she was just a little bit different than the other children. And we just were not jihawing. This is, you know, probably, this is, this is probably 20 years ago when she was in her mid-teens. And I remember a friend of mine telling me, Eric, one of the best investments you can make is to perhaps take your daughter on a trip. And through circumstances that I don't remember right now, an organization called J.H. Ranch down in California. Mm had had uh, times where a father-daughter could go out or a father-spouse or a husband-spouse or a father-son. And I just thought that maybe I should consider going out. It was about a week-long, week-and-a-half-long trip out to California. And I remember wrestling with this. I was very busy at this time. And I just said to myself, I can't do this. You know, I, I just, I've got too much on my plate. It's too much money all the expenses, all the excuses that we can come up with. And I just said to myself, no, I've got to do this. So we ended up taking a trip 
where we went down to the Grand Canyon and then came up to California, the mm-hmm. coast, all the way up to the, the ranch. Mm-hmm. And Mike, I can tell you, uncategorically, it probably saved our relationship. Wow. Spending two solid weeks with my daughter. We're very tight right now. She calls me. In fact, she's getting married uh, in October, and she's asked me to be the, the officiant. Wow. So I've got to figure out how to get licensed and ordained. But I, I think back on the many mistakes that I should have done that with every one of my children. And that that gets back into what we mentioned in the earlier session. I love the word intentional. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wasn't. I wasn't as intentional as I needed to be. I was with Kelsey, that's her name, and it basically changed our relationship. And that's one of the reasons that I just so much, I put so much value on someone having a financial advisor, because you're not going to think through these things with yourself or your spouse. That's why you know as well as I do that all of our partners require each other, each of us to have financial advisors. So we are held accountable. But that's, that's one of the Big mistakes that I think I wished, uh, oh, I wish I could go back and surprise my children with maybe dresses. Not a lot, but just enough and not be so consumed with financial security. Yeah. Uh, one the, of them that. The girls, the girls uh, appreciate what, what, the dresses. The guys may not. The, the son may not. But. <laughs> well, I don't know about that now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're right. You know, G.K. Chesterton, the famous uh, renowned British journalist made the statement, there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more, and the other is to desire less. And I I love that statement because what I've experienced taking another situation that I think that my wife and I have done well is once you've set your lifestyle, it's been my experience in 40 years, it is almost impossible to decrease that if something comes up. I remember counseling a young couple that was doing very, very well. He was in his early 30s, if I remember correctly, and he was appointed to be the CEO of a German company, if I remember correctly. And he was making huge amounts of money Mm -hmm. at age 30. And I told him, I said, you've got to start saving because this will not always be the case. But he established his lifestyle at such a level that when Difficult times came, which they did. They had to, they literally were forced into selling their home, et cetera. That once you establish, you know, whether it's going out and buying Starbucks every day or whether it's buying lunch, whatever it might be, it is so hard. So I would encourage your listeners that especially the younger and middle-aged ones, try to set that lifestyle at a reasonable level that allows you to accomplish those other five uses of money giving and taxes and savings, paying off debt. Uh, yeah. and, but at the same time, make certain you spend your money wisely on what you value. They really set a finishing line. Just have a, a goal of saying, you know, just because my my um, income rises up is typical with us, especially in, in the good old US of A, is our, our standard of living tends to go up with our with our um, resources as opposed to saying, no, I've, yeah. I've got enough. I don't need to buy another nicer car. I don't need to buy a second house. I don't need to buy whatever it is that, that you may just want to buy because you, because you think you can. Um, and I will, I will cost you far forget about it. So talking about being the efficient of your daughter's 
wedding. So back um, um, when my uh, next oldest brother was getting married, my dad's a, a pastor. So he's, he's passed away now, but he was a pastor. And he was officiating my brother's wedding. And so he had his little black book that he uses uh, to have all the vows, all the different things in it he's going to repeat. And uh, as he was going through and, and naming the, the, my brother and his soon-to-be wife, he, he called her him Tim instead of Steve. So is what he, <laughs> what he had done is in his little black, he always penciled in the name of the person he was getting, was marrying, and he forgot to take Tim out and put Steve in. So he called his own son, he called his own son uh, Tim instead of Steve. So uh, yeah, don't, don't make that mistake uh, when, you're, when you're officiating your own daughter's wedding. You know, make sure you get the names, get the names straight there. Um, thanks, for, thanks for that counsel. I'll remember that. All right. So we just you know, got another point. Go ahead. One, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No. Well, when got about I, two minutes. Point, we've got, uh, I think that what we, we believe, we've been conditioned to believe, that raising our standard of living raises the quality of our life, and it always doesn't. No. no. Sometimes it does, but raising the standard of your living, which is so easy to do, we've got it in our mind that it raises the quality of life, and then sometimes it actually hurts the quality of yeah. our life. Increases your stress. More things to take care Amen. of. Amen. Uh, Amen. Brother. Yeah. Amen. I, I remember my a former Sunday school teacher that told us that he was a pilot for um, Delta, I think. And so he made good money and he was talking about, yeah, we've got a lake house. We've got a boat. We got all these different things. And he was cautioning everybody in the class that, well, you know, keep in mind that when you, when you buy the boat, then you've got to maintain the boat. You got to clean it. You got to, you got to get the oil change, you, all the different things that you have to do when you own something. And I've got to, you know, I've got to take care of it now. And it, it just it got that much more stress on his time that it really didn't make it a, a more enjoyable. You know, I'm sure he enjoyed it when he had it, but then it, it got to be a burden. And um, so some things that seem yeah. like they're a good idea at first don't always work out that way, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So anyway, we, it's, we're, we're out of time on this last segment. When, As you said, we could probably record about uh, three or four segments in a row. We wouldn't catch everything. So def we're definitely going to have you back on sometime, Eric. So when we get back, we talk a little bit about some estate planning mistakes, some generational type uh, situations that you've been in that you can help caution people on, especially those who may uh, be a little higher net worth that have some things that uh, they really need to be considering as they think about, think through estate planning and it, and it has, uh, can have a lot more to do with than just saving estate taxes. So if you've got uh, a question, once again, you're going to send that question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com or go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and just click on Ask Mike a Question. We're not taking any live calls today. We'll be right back with the last segment of Talking Money with my special guest, Eric Daniels, in just a couple of minutes. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum. One division is Everyday Steward, which serves clients who are just getting started to those with an investable net worth ranging from $100,000 up to a million. For those desiring objective, biblical principles in their investments, cash flow management, financial planning, which includes retirement, insurance, tax, and estate, and their giving, Ronald Blue Trust's Everyday Steward advisors can serve as their clients' stewardship coaches so they can focus on a living a life of purpose. For more information about Everyday Stewart and the other divisions of Ronald Blue Trust, they can be found at ronblue.com. Now back to Talking Money.
You're listening to Mike Miller. This is Talking Money. In the final segment of today's program, my special guest, Eric Daniels, Senior Vice President with the Ronald Blue Trust and has been with the company a long time, has, has uh, fulfilled a lot of different roles, including the head of the family office, which deals with some very wealthy people. So I know he's seen a lot of things that have happened in his own uh, with clients as well as his own life. Uh, I spend time, Eric, talking to a lot of tax attorneys just in our practice, as you know, and then uh, on the air. So I've had uh, a number of tax attorneys uh, with me on Talking Money, and it's it's always one of the hottest topics. It's one that I'll get more questions when, when we're taking questions from people when we're talking about wills, trusts. It's just something, it's like Social Security and probate. When the probate judge comes on, These just it's just an area that a lot of people have an interest in and don't hear a lot about because uh, it's not a subject that's frequently in the newspaper because it's just, you know, hey, it's too boring to talk about this. But it's something we need to know about. Yeah. So uh, tell us some some estate planning mistakes that you've seen or that you have even uh, done yourself that uh, we can learn from. I think the the most important mistake, if, if you want to call it that, what I've done, not only personally, but I see most of my clients uh, demonstrate are doing this mistake is they look on estate planning, Mike, as only an exercise in updating their wills. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And they don't think they don't think <clears throat> that it's it can be an annual exercise. So almost all the time, when a client comes in or a new client comes in, and I ask them when's the last time you updated your will, no doubt it's going to be five or six years ago. So they correlate that estate planning is just updating your will. It, mm-hmm. has, it obviously is an important part, but much, much more important is to seize, I think, the opportunity to build communication and trust levels between your family. So let me give you some positives on mine. About three years ago, we began to have in our family, our, our annual family conference. And in that family conference, The purpose of that is to identify the Daniels family culture, Daniels family values, Daniels family beliefs, family heritage, and how do we pass them off to the next generation? Now, if you think about it, it's so easy to pass your hobbies, your interests, your diversions off to your kids. You know, I love basketball and golf in my son just loves basketball and golf and he enjoys the same teams that I enjoy and follow. My children follow me in so many areas. I love reading. I love reading on apologetics and politics. And I've got two or three of my children that love doing the same thing. They pick that up almost just by osmosis, Mm -hmm. but you've got to be intentional when it comes to these family conferences. So I, I think that that is probably the biggest mistake that, people make, especially as their net worth increases, because the kids are going to probably get some of that money and you've got to help them prepare. So in our family conferences, not only for myself, but also for our clients, which we do is we'll lay out. Oftentimes, this is what your parents have accumulated. We'll facilitate this. This is where they're going to distribute it. Now let's talk about these other more important things because trust and communication you know, I don't think there's any single skill more important to long-term family cohesion and success than the, than the development of trust and communication within the family. Right. But it doesn't happen. And people don't like it. I've, I remember having a client of mine probably 10 years ago agreeing to a family conference. Great client. 
And uh, when I went up to his, his oldest son, he made a comment to me when I told him that we were setting up a family conference. He made a specific comment, that won't happen, Eric. And I said, well, we've got it scheduled. He says, it's not going to happen. My dad is too petrified of sharing what he, what he has <laughs> and what will happen. Yeah. And, it, and it didn't. We actually bet a prime rib steak at a real <laughs> nice place uh, here in Atlanta, and I ended up having to pay. It just, it, it is so important for us to pass on our values. Tim Kimmel, who is an author, I'm reading this here. I, I love this statement. Listen to this. You can't leave character to a trust account. You can't write your values into your will. You can't bank traits like courage, honesty, and compassion in a safe deposit box. What we need is a plan, a long-term strategy to, a long-term strategy to convey our convictions to the next generation. Yeah, and that's a, that is, it's biblical. Yeah, that's it's a God great quote. It wants us to yeah. pass the truth. Oh, it's a wonderful quote. I've used it in several uh, you know, um, several spots that I've had on the. I got one spot that I use that I quote that in, so it gets played fairly regularly on on this station. But uh, yeah, it's uh, just the whole concept is great. Well, you know, I, at our most recent um, family conference just last year, I wanted to highlight what I wanted our heritage to be, the Daniels family heritage, to impress upon all of them. And I came up with five or six things that were very important to my wife and I, myself. A strong work ethic. Love what you do. Respect and honor each other. Seek accountability. Manage your resources very well. Generosity. But I think the most important one that I came up with, and I told this to my children, is gratefulness. I think it mm. is the most important character trait that we can pass on to our children. Mm. I will never, ever forget. I was visiting with a uh, very significant, uh, uh, very significant client of great wealth five or six years ago. Let's, let's just say that he had four children and he had never given them much money to test them in how they stewarded their resources. So I encouraged him, and I, I don't remember the dollar amount, Mike, but I think it was like $50,000 that he gave to each one of his children, and he had never done that before. And about a month or two months later, after he had done this, I called him in January. This was a year-end gift. And I, I'll never forget this as long as I, I live. I asked him, John, that's not his name. John, how was it received? He says, well, it was received okay. I said, well, did they thank you? Well, yeah, kind of. Mm -hmm. Did any of them write you a note of gratefulness and thankfulness? And he said, no, they didn't. Mm -hmm. And I, it was such an awkward conversation, Mike, because I remember having it on the telephone. I didn't know what to do. And I began thinking about that, the transaction that had happened. And I came up with three reasons that those kids did not respond the way they should have. Mm -hmm. The first one is, did they expect it? Because, you know, when people give money, sometimes they get, get it, they give it every single year. So they expected right. it. Sure. But in this particular case, they didn't expect it because they, had, it, well, we'll get to that. You're ahead of the ball game. Uh. The second one was that they didn't value it, but we were doing financial planning and estate planning for each of their kids. So we knew that $50,000 was a significant sum of money for them and they should have valued it. So they didn't expect it. They obviously valued it. 
So it came back down to just what you said. They felt entitled to it. And that is the worst case it can be yes. in passing wealth to your yes. children. You've got to pass. You, and I know you say this a lot of times in your practice. You, know, you don't want to pass wealth without wisdom. Yeah. And that wisdom is that gratefulness aspect that we don't deserve anything and whatever we get. And I will never forget that. And that's what I want. That's what I want my kids to understand that whatever we give and we do give them resources, but we don't give them consistently. So we'll give them a certain amount one year and a certain amount another year and maybe not something the following right, year. Right, right. Um, just based on what God wants. Yeah, uh, so we had we had a situation with a client. I've had several clients this way that I suggested that they, they were the same way. They were concerned about how the child may spend the money. They really haven't had given them any money to – to you know, try them out, let them see how they actually would do the money. So, and they were concerned about, and sometimes the the parents are concerned about what the children are doing with their money because it's all they're going by is what they see. They don't know how much the child really is saving. They're just some assumptions that are made. And so, I I suggested yeah. to several clients, I said, well, what you really need to do is give enough money to them, but don't give it directly to them. Let's open up a, an account here at Ron Blue Trust or Plan First, and let them become a client. And get get them where they've got, you know, 250, 400,000, whatever of your money. They're going to get it anyway. You've already said you want to give it to them anyway. Don't give them directly. Let's give it to them and then and then make them a client. So we're going to go through the same kind of processes that we would go through with you. And we're going to help them with the budgeting. We're going to help them with counseling them. They're going to have somebody in their corner to help them uh, establish the kind of goals that they should be establishing. And, um, and at, at first, it, it was... Very much like no, not you know. It take years. It took some years to actually do it, but uh, they finally done it, and it's and they're glad that they they did that, and the and the children are are glad because now they've got some advice. Still have a few children that won't do it, but it's it's still something to do. Um, so yeah. I wondered uh, before I also forget. Do you have a a template or something that I know we have some information internally that we can share with people with outlines on how to do a family meeting and that kind of thing? Do you have a a template or something that you use as a guide each time you have a family meeting that we might even be able to share with the listeners. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot. If you don't have one, that's fine. Uh, and even maybe even share some of the the values because some people need help. What what do you mean by what what kind of things should I be thinking about with my values? And some of the things that you mentioned on that list that you just said uh, a few minutes ago uh, are are key things. But but still, you thought of them, but not everybody is thinking the same way. Uh, do you have something like that we might even be able to share with listeners at a later date? You know what? I certainly do. Let me get, let me look at what I do send out. I like, for example, we have a values discovery worksheet that we use and we break it down into a, a number of different areas. Uh, values might be artistic, in, inspiration, productive, ethical, all those values can be further delineated down into, for example, on productive people. They value achievement. They value entrepreneurism. They value their health. They value knowledge. But yet on the artistic side, and I've got some clients that are on that artistic side, they, they value connection, compassion, creativity, humor, ingenuity. It is so much fun. When I did this with my, uh, we've, done, we've done this with a lot of our clients, but it's per particularly enjoyable when you've done it with your own family and you find out how these kids that you've raised are so unique and they're going to value their values are going to be different in certain areas. 
but we also want them to be valuing certain things that are important to us, such as biblical truth, as very high high value. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'll, let me let, let me look back and I'll see if I can send something to you. That'd yeah, be great. That'd be great. I'd, I'd appreciate that. Our listeners would appreciate that. So I'll I'll share with this listeners. Now, if you would like to get a copy of of the family meeting, some of the things that we've been talking about with Eric Daniels, uh, send me an email. And uh, just say something like family meeting or something in the subject line. And when I get this from Eric, I will forward it to you. And you'll have a guide. I think it'd be beneficial to have whether you have a lot of money or, or not that much money, I think, because a lot of what we're talking about is values, not necessarily the, the valuables. So send that request to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. And I'll forward you uh, whatever um, the, the information that Eric is going to send me. All right, so we've got uh, one minute, Eric. So uh, final thoughts on either estate planning or uh, some other burning uh, comment that you'd like to make. <laughs> well, let me go to one of my mistakes. And one of those mistakes is on, in the giving area. All right, you got in 45 that, seconds. I was, so encouraged, I was so encouraged, your listeners, to think about not only giving to their church or Salvation Army, but to take advantage of when God prompts you to give to people that are in need. And I've got story after story of people that have turned around and bought someone's lunch for them without yeah. even knowing them. Yeah. And just take advantage of that. That would That's what I would encourage on the giving. That's great. And you're the one that benefits more so than the person who got the money. Well, thank you very much, Eric Daniels, for joining me. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. We'll get you back on again real soon. Blessings, Mike. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Eric. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. 